This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where every week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we discuss what's going on in our business. Plus, we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week, we'll be talking to Morgan Summer of CyberSocket. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce Adult Site Broker Cash, the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. With Adult Site Broker Cash, you'll have the chance to earn as much as 20% of our broker commission, referring sellers and buyers to us at Adult Site Broker. Check our website at adultsitebroker.com for more details. First of all today, let's cover some of the news going on in our industry. Before the beginning of Monday's hearing to set the preliminary date in the case against Ron Jeremy, the DA overseeing the case told Jeremy's attorney he was filing an amended complaint adding 20 extra charges to the eight existing charges of sexual assault against the adult performer. Jeremy appeared in court on Monday where he pled not guilty to the new charges. The preliminary hearing was postponed to October 28th. His last hearing was June 26th, when his bail was set at $6.6 million, and he's been in custody ever since. Jeremy's attorney, Stuart Goldfarb, has confirmed that the new charges stem from 13 new incidents, some of them as recent as earlier this year. The amended complaint includes six counts of sexual battery by restraint, five counts of forcible rape, three counts of forcible oral copulation, two counts of forcible penetration by a foreign object, and one count each of sodomy, assault with intent to commit rape, penetration by a foreign object on an unconscious or sleeping victim, and lewd uh, lewd conduct with a 15-year-old girl. VR Bangers has started production of their virtual reality content in 8K ultra-high definition, beginning with Spencer Bradley in Bachelor No More. A studio rep described the 4K and 6K ultra-high def immersive VR experience as smooth, clean, and pretty much giving you the unique feeling that you've been there with the girl you just watched, even though she most likely was on the other side of the world. Now imagine that we could double or maybe even triple or quadruple the amount of smoothness you've just experienced, giving you something even better. 6K Ultra High Def, which was originally designed for movie theaters, gave viewers as much as 19 million pixels as long as the user had a high-end VR headset capable of displaying such high resolutions. Meanwhile, 8K goes even beyond that, giving you an almost overwhelming number of pixels and providing an even more spectacular experience. Even though the display of the VR visor remains unchanged, the amount of pixels per inch is going higher, effectively giving a smoother and more lifelike experience. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're offering a sex toy review site dedicated to exploring sexuality and sharing and reviewing the author's favorite sex toys. The thing that really stands out is the extremely high quality content used throughout the site. Most sites, especially review sites, use junk content that is very obviously written just to rank for terms in Google. This site is written in the first person and is a joy to read. The authors take the reader on a journey, showing them which toys that they find the most enjoyable and explaining how to best use them. 
The rankings in Google are high because Google has rewarded this site due to the quality of the content. It's also a nicely diversified site in terms of revenue. It's from a good mix of affiliate offers, so the business doesn't hinge on only one main program. The site is also very diversified in terms of traffic to individual pages. The most traffic page on the site only makes up 14% of the traffic, so it's not dependent on just one page ranking well. All content is exclusive. Nothing's been taken from elsewhere. Pretty much all of the traffic comes from organic Google results. No ad or traffic buying has ever taken place. This is an outstanding opportunity for the new owner if they want to further boost the traffic. This outstanding sex toy review site is available for only $225,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Morgan Summer, the founder of CyberSocket. Morgan, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're, <laughs> I'm glad you're here at, at six in the morning, your time. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> CyberSocket is and has been for a long time the leader in online LGBTQ information. They run the CyberSocket Web Awards every January and also do the now famous CyberSocket parties at many adult trade shows. They also have the Gay Board. Cybersocket.com has site reviews, movie reviews, a uh, site and company directory, articles, a blog, and even live camps. Morgan and his company have been an incredible co contributor to our industry. And frankly, I can't imagine it without them. Um, first of all, Morgan, what's new over at Cybersocket? I mean, at the moment, right, we're not doing anything different other than uh about a year ago, we stopped producing the print magazine after 21 years. It just became, it became, it's, it was always expensive and it just became, you know, 70% of cost and 20% of revenue. Sure. And as long as it was still producing 50% of revenue, it was, it was still worth producing in spite of its costs. Mm -hmm. um, but it also, you know, it coincided with some other changes where, Mm -hmm. I'd been doing basically the same job for 21 years, and I, I wasn't interested in doing that particular job anymore at sure. the same level I was doing it. So, mm -hmm. you know, so we made some structural changes in terms of what the company was producing, mm -hmm. what we were selling, mm -hmm. and then I also took a back seat for about six months mm -hmm. and let our management team and my business partner take the lead. Um, Mm -hmm. While I pursued some other interests and did things like got certified to teach spin classes. And, uh, oh, cool. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, so then I started teaching six spin classes a week for a while. Jeez. Um, and, uh, and, you know, all the while still doing, working on CyberSocket, doing the award show for two, two years and all that stuff. But, um, but I also, my interest in advertising have also kind of shifted. Um, and I and I started pursuing some other active, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Just started pursuing some other avenues for how to how to be able to sell the kinds of things I want to sell. Mm -hmm. And uh, because in the adult sphere, we're very limited as to what we're able to do. So, mm -hmm. but that experience outside of the industry has also helped me to hone my message and our purpose. Mm -hmm. what we're trying to accomplish within the adult industry. 
That's cool. Now you're uh, besides still working with CyberSocket, uh, you've got a mainstream uh, regular gig now. Tell us about it. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So yeah, that started. That was part of that process is me looking around, trying to figure out what interested me, and I found that um, selling broadcast TV advertising along with digital stuff, was what I was really interested in. Um, and it always fascinated me, and I was basically relegated to a, a print and adult site realm where mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's very limited avenues. So I pursued that. I work for an ABC affiliate here in Wichita. Yeah. Um, I'm selling TV advertising along with national and regional and even international digital advertising. Cool. And that's kind of that's kind of interesting because it, it gives me a perspective on how the rest of the world is working in terms of marketing, mm -hmm. um, where the real big money is being spent in marketing, how it's being spent, the kinds of tactics that people are using, mm -hmm. the technological innovations that have taken place that have kind of bypassed that the adult industry has never been able to participate in because they were never offered. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's just, it's been really fascinating, but it's also given me a fresh perspective that I then take back to CyberSocket every week. So I'm still doing CyberSocket 10 hours a week. I just mm -hmm. am not in the details of every day. Sure. Um, so. Now that was a big move for you a couple of years ago, up and moving from LA to Kansas. Um, how has that been for you? That was actually a good choice um, because, mm -hmm. I, you know, L.A. can be kind of a grind. And the things <laughs> I moved there for at 26, I got. Um, mm -hmm. But it wasn't what I wanted anymore at 50. So mm -hmm. um, by the time we kept coming back and forth to visit Michael's family here in Kansas. And I came ah. at all different all different seasons, saw the worst of it and the best of it. Mm -hmm. And. All the while, I, in the back of my head, I was kind of secretly thinking it would be neat to live there. And, mm. uh, and it was decided when we came here for the holidays one Christmas and uh, mm. went house shopping, and oh, I wow. saw what I could get. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, then, so then all of a sudden, we bought a house before we'd even wrapped up life in L.A. Sure. And, uh, and that huh. was that. But, it, you so, know, it's just. So there was, so it, there was, a, so there was a family connection. It's that, and it's also just, you know, we kept looking for another, a different place to live in, in the U.S. Because mm -hmm. we're building a house in Costa Rica. And oh, wow. so we needed some place that's here. And mm -hmm. some place where we could, at the time, the plan was both work remotely. Um, and uh, and this would seem like a good place. And now my parents are even here. They sold their house in San Diego and bought a really nice house here. <laughs> and... Uh, so we're all here. So this big basically awesome. home. It's it's basically home base now. That um, is com that is completely awesome, man. You seem to yeah. really love it. I think that's. I'm really happy for yeah. you. Yep. And then at this point, we both have jobs that have tied us into the community here as well. So mm -hmm. we're both we're, we're both working in marketing, mm -hmm. and uh, both working with the digital stuff. Sure. So just just working for competitive companies, which makes that's for. Cool. Interesting and stilted dinner conversations where we may be working with the same client but can't talk I about bet. it. I bet. What is he working for another television station? Yes, he is. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. Yeah. You know, you know, I used to sell radio advertising, so uh, you know, I find that fascinating that uh, that now you're uh, 
um, you're, you're uh, the you're uh, the Herb Tarlick of uh, of uh, Wichita. <laughs> I don't know who Herb Tarlick is. Oh yeah, God, you're so young, man! You I never watched you never you never watched WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, I remember that show when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Herb Tarlick was the, was the uh, yeah. Now you remember. Now you remember. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the sales manager. Okay. <laughs> with yeah. all the with all the crazy sport coats and stuff. Yep. Yep. So you're now the Herb Tarlick of Wichita. I love it. So how do you feel the adult industry has responded to the COVID nineteen pandemic? Well, I think studios that shut down production did so out of a sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I think that what they did was they basically just dropped everyone off the face of the earth with mm-hmm. no recourse. So honestly, I don't think they did a very good job of it at all because mm-hmm. the industry has always been structurally um, extremely um, I don't say uncaring about its own talent. Mm-hmm. Most companies, not all, but most companies have just simply dropped everyone. They've dropped the people that worked in, in inside the companies. They've dropped the talent who basically suddenly found themselves with zero income. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, and they dropped a lot of the ancillary people that do the production work for them or finish their videos and all of that other stuff. They just simply dropped everyone. Yeah. And, um, and I understand economics. Trust me, I'm a good capitalist. But what they did was basically poison the well in a sense because they've shown everyone how important they really are to the functioning of these companies, mm. which in a lot of cases shows that they aren't very important. Yeah. And I think there's a lot disposable, of resentment. Disposable yeah. spare parts. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and there's always been that tension in the industry where the models and the talent have been referred to using terms like content as if they're just an object or a commodity, right? Mm. And um, anyway, so I think that we've just seen that super illustrated once again. Yeah. And uh, and I think that there is a backlash that'll happen with that, where studios will expect loyalty again once they start producing. That loyalty <laughs> will probably not come back, or if it comes back, it's going to come back at a price. Yeah, especially with the uh, with the clip clip and cam market being what it is, uh, people can do things independently now. Yeah, and I think that because so many people have now been forced into basically doing stuff solo, um, I don't think you're going to woo them back. Where now they have they have more financial independence than they've had before. The only mm-hmm. way to get the, the really qualified people back is going to be to pay them better. And to make maybe make more guarantees, right? To sign people mm-hmm. to contracts where they're getting where they're getting salaries, um, mm. and treating and treating them like proper employees rather than just everyone pretending everybody's an independent contractor. Sure, sure. Uh, how do you feel like the LGBTQ market has evolved in the past few years? I, to tell you the truth, this is part of what made my decision to to pursue work outside of the industry is that I think the industry in a lot of ways has eaten itself. Um, the, the pool of people playing in the market has gotten a lot smaller. Sure. Um, over the last 10 years, lots of lots of smaller companies have either disappeared or consolidated into larger companies. Right. Um, and therefore the pool of people and personalities 
in it has gotten a lot tighter. Um, And I think that that's where innovation has now stifled, like that we've gotten into a rut with a lot of things. Um, The LGBT market has a few really successful companies and then dozens of small struggling companies. Sure. Um, And I don't think they see there's less reward for them because the traffic market is locked up and they cannot compete. Um, Mm. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of people I know that I talk to who are very discouraged about their ability to continue doing what they do. Right. Right. Um, This is just a function of how much energy do they want to put into uh, a diminishing return. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, So, so, so weird. So uh, along those same lines, uh, where did all of the small independent gay content content producers go? A lot of them have just left the industry altogether, mm. um, or they they wrap themselves up into affiliate program aggregators, you know, mm-hmm. and are hoping to make a living through that by having someone else manage the the affiliate side of things and hopefully traffic. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that for most of the people I talk to do that, that's also not been successful. Hmm. So I think people are looking at trying to extricate themselves from those contracts that they can, mm-hmm. um, or they're just leaving and moving mm-hmm. on and doing other things. Sure. Most people had something they did before they delved into the adult front realm. Yeah. So a lot of people I know are very, very busy with whatever that is. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, so I think at this point, there's a lot of um, the traffic market for adult traffic is really tied up in the in a couple big networks and traffic brokers. Mm-hmm. And unless you have a lot of money to play, really, it's very difficult to get any effective traffic. Oh, of course, of course. And. And I think that serves the larger companies just fine. They don't care because it doesn't affect them and they don't see it from the small company point of view. The smaller guys I see cannot afford to buy enough traffic to make the returns they need anymore. Hmm. Got it. Okay. So I know my opinion on this, but I'll ask you, what do you think trade shows are relevant anymore? Um, Personally, I stepped back from my nine a year to two. Um, hmm. No, because the, here's the thing. The people I needed to do business with the most weren't at the trade shows anymore. And that was largely the content producers and or the true powerhouse affiliates. Mm-hmm. They were not showing up at the trade shows, not, not in the numbers they used to. Um, the trade shows simply became the ancillary business people all talking to each other and the same people talking to each other over and over and over again, following each other around. And it, you know, a room filled with representatives from the third party billing companies is wonderful. They're all great people, <laughs> but I only have room for so many merchant accounts. I or tra- or traffic or traffic or traffic people, which seems to right. be what has so, uh, overwhelmed I, the shows I, lately. Right, and we always have two merchant accounts at any given time, but mm-hmm. I can't hold a merchant account from everyone that wants me to have one with them. Of course. And have, you know, uh, relationships with every IPSP. It's just not possible to do all of that. 
Um, and everyone is tripping over each other, telling you why their rates are better, their throughput's better. It's just, it's just nonstop. And then hmm. the affiliates that do show up or the affiliate reps that show up from studios hmm. all say the same thing. Their hmm. conversion rates are the best. Our content is the best. Well, everyone's <laughs> not the best. It's not true. And everyone's conversion rates are wildly not, not the same. And we right. know that because we're, we're an affiliate of 200 companies. And we, and we track every affiliate program we promote across our network of websites. So, because we have the CyberSocket site, an older, gigantic, monstrous one that called Juicy Goo, and then we have a bunch of blogs, and mm -hmm. we we move companies and or programs through our network of sites. It's a closed network. We don't really do traffic deals with anyone. We don't. We don't. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. just no outside source there. It's all self-generated stuff. And so we look and we look at the ratios and we look at the, you know, whether we think companies are being honest or not. Um, and, you know, when we send 3,000 uh, clicks and it's a zero conversion, yet publicly on their affiliate page, they're saying their conversion ratio is 1 in 150. I'm like, mm -hmm. you're lying. When I know that someone else is 1 in 150. So I know mm -hmm. that the traffic that we generate converts, mm -hmm. but it doesn't convert equally. Oh, of course not. Right. Of course not. And I think yeah, and everybody's that, the best and the greatest, right? Well, and that leads me to the other part of the problem, which is this weird over-reliance on the affiliate market. But it's also, it's treated affiliates all along as if they are a problem and not a solution. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of antagonism about affiliates, right. but then also a lot of affiliates became bullies be to the content producers telling them, well, I'll, we're not sure your site fits our paradigm. I'm like, mm. so that just, there's just been this weird thing all along, but the affiliate market I think is dying quickly the way it's being managed these days. Yeah, I, I think that has a lot to do with it, certainly. It can work, it just has to work the right way. Um, Again, I have an opinion on this, but uh, what what do you think is wrong with the industry marketing paradigm? <laughs> I think well, as someone who yeah, so there's a few couple there's a couple big things. One, I think there's been an over reliance all along of, on this affiliate model. I built the website. Mm -hmm. Here's my content. My content is is grade a mm -hmm. your now your job is to sell my content and if you fail to sell my content it's because you are flawed or your website's flawed or your traffic is flawed uh -huh. and therefore and also this when someone comes to you to buy traffic from you they want to buy it at the super cheap discount rates that the traffic brokers are selling junk traffic at and mm -hmm. so the buyers on the other side, they're trained to basically belittle you, belittle your website, and belittle the conversion rates, no mm. matter what they really are, because you can never tell. But they're mm. basically trained to bully you into, into lowering your prices to a point where it's very difficult to sustain even selling those things. Sure. So I think, I think that – and you can't compare junk traffic from tube sites and, and traffic inside of these broker networks – to direct traffic 
in the curated sites. It's very mm-hmm. different. One is hyper qualified. One is who knows what. And mm-hmm. I think there's and I think there's so there's a culture right now where that's those are the two extremes that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And buyers are generally not that invested in the industry. They come and they go from the company, so they don't really mm-hmm. work on building long term relationships with people either. So it's they're not not following the the general rules of marketing, which are the things that I get to use when I'm selling TV advertising or or right. big national digital campaigns. Mm-hmm. We're working on the same numbers and we're looking at ROI, but it's professional and people mm-hmm. treat each other mostly respectfully. A lot of agencies still have kind of dickish people in them, but <laughs> but but that's I but, remember but again, that, right. But that culture that culture exists, but I think it's translated into the adult sphere, but worse because mm. it's dominating the adult yeah. space. Got it. So well obviously race in America's is is certainly a hot topic right now. What changes do you think our industry needs to make regarding race? For the last 23 years, as long as I've been attached to this industry, it's been a thing that um, my friends and I have talked about. Um, There is systemic racism in everything about the industry. There's Mm -hmm. systemic racism in everything about American culture and in a lot -hmm. of of countries, right? Mm -hmm. Not just, and not not just Western countries. Right. Um, There's always this thing about the other, but in the adult space, they've always basically justified it by saying things like, well, it doesn't sell. And if it doesn't sell, well, then we don't make it and our job is to sell. So it's not that we're racist. It's just that we're only going to make the thing that sells or the thing that sells the most. Mm-hmm. But that has translated to treating models of color as if they are only useful for that commodity that's mm-hmm. about race. So because we're so busy only looking at people as they're in their terms of their value in a racialized product, Interesting. We'll never, we will never get rid of racism in the industry because you're always going to be the black model or the Latino model. Or in, other, in, other model. Words, in other words, if you're the black model, you got to be on the black site. That and, and as I heard some people saying on the Expos thing, once we've sought our quota of black content or latino content for the year we're done so sorry we can't use you Mm. and i think and that is and that's because everyone's just looking at things in terms of these categories Mm -hmm. i don't know the solution to that though i see the problem we can identify the problem but you know you can't force companies to make a thing they can't sell that's true and right but we also need to start at least talking about race in a different way and, pre- and instead of pretending that it doesn't, that the problem doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I know on the gay side of things, black models that have been friends of mine over the years have mm-hmm. always talked about it, have mm-hmm. always been saying how they feel and how they don't feel valued and how they don't make as much mm-hmm. in general. Um, and sad. I think that's kind of, it is sad. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it causes a lot of people to feel very discouraged about it. Um, sure. But again, as long as models are treated as disposable commodities uh, rather than intrinsic parts of the company, um, I think we'll never get past that. 
Well, from, that, saying, from, the, from that from that standpoint, I guess there isn't racism because they're all treated that way. Well, there, I think there, the racism is that those people of color are treated even worse. Yeah, yeah, because that's the they're sad. told that's they're, the sad part, yeah. right? So they're yeah. all they're all not treated well, right. but they're but people of color are treated even worse. Yeah, and. And so, you know, so like with our award show, I'm not sure where we're going with our categories. I know that other companies have made react, made statements that there will be no, no racially themed categories. I haven't made that decision yet. We haven't put out our nominations categories yet because I'm right. going to be talking to different models who of color Get to find out what they yeah. think. Sure. I want to know what they think. Per, I'm not in a public forum. I want to know what they think one-on-one. Because right. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of knee jerk reaction to when people say things mm-hmm. that don't represent what someone else thinks they should say. So right. I want to talk to people off the record first, mm-hmm. get a good feel for how different people are feeling about things, um, and then we'll make a decision. Because I've already I did a little straw poll on on Twitter the other day, mm-hmm. just asking people if they thought, and I wanted only a response from people of color. Oh, interesting. Do you want, do you, well, of course, they got lots of white people with opinions too. But of course. It's, which is why. Didn't even ask their opinion. But, you got it anyway. That's got it anyway. That's, well, that's white people. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean? My opinion doesn't matter right here. Um, so, <laughs> but I got two sets of feedback and they're, you know, that are contradictory. One is no racialized categories at all. And the other one says, no, we need to have distinct categories because they get lost in the bigger categories. And there's a lot of people who do a lot of really good work Mm -hmm. and they want it to be recognized. So Mm -hmm. I don't, there's no easy solution there. And we've gone round and round this, this monkey for years um, because you know, 20 years ago, we dropped a couple of the racial categories based on the suggestion that someone had. And mm-hmm. we did, and we, and then we got calls from a couple of different people basically claiming that that was an example of that, us being that that racist. That was racist. I was, I was waiting because for we, that. Because, sure. because we dropped the categories. Well, yeah. so we added the categories and we've tweaked the names because we're trying to do our best as mm-hmm. white guys, right, who run a company to respond to the community in the best way we can. But I feel that the, and I, so our responsibility is to do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm also, I can, I only approach it from the opinion of a white guy who's lived a white life, right? So I, you know. But you're doing everything, you're doing everything you can to get the opinion from the people who really matter. Well, we're trying to do that even better now. So at this point, because the topic is on the forefront of everyone's minds, I'm trying to get a really good feel for how people of color in the industry feel about it. Good. Well, you're going about it. You're certainly going about it the right way, Morgan. Yeah. Well, I hope so. That's our goal. Absolutely. (laughs) As as always. Now, you are certainly a pioneer of this industry. Where have the rest of the pioneers gone? Some have left the industry altogether. Um, and I think that for some people, it was a lot of fun in the beginning when we were creating things out of thin air, mm-hmm. when there, when, when what it's going to look like was still an open question mm-hmm. and people were creating new things, new sites, new ideas all the time. 
and the question of what's new would produce some really interesting answers. Um, mm -hmm. I've watched, you know, a couple of really innovative companies try to come in and, and help the industry evolve in new ways, but the industry didn't want to evolve yet. Um, so mm -hmm. things like things like VR, VR right. technology is there. The cameras are there. The sets are there. People are buying those things for gaming. Um, but a lot right. of companies just aren't really interested in pursuing it right now. Sure. And, and I think that, meanwhile, the mainstream world is pursuing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something that people are going to have to do whether they want to or not. But at this point, I don't believe that the industry is driving technology the way it did 15 years ago. Mm. I, think, I think it's become a follower. Mm. And um, so just another opinion, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're not you're not short of them, but they come from a very uh, they come from a very uh, well schooled place. In terms of in terms of technology, what is the industry doing wrong? Wrong. Okay, I don't want to use the word wrong, but I think there's a reluctance to adopt new technology until they see their competitors doing it. Mm -hmm. So everyone's doing a look, wait, and see thing and following the leader, but no one wants to be the leader. Yeah, but but Morgan, but Morgan, that I've been in this industry now for like 17 years, okay? Not as long mm -hmm. as you. I've never seen this industry be anything but followers. Well, I think in the very beginning of it all, when we were building the things like the what do I want to say? The subscription models that became yeah. standard across the world. When we were doing things like that, that was that was mm -hmm. innovation. When right. we were using computers and cams in a new way that people hadn't seen before, that was innovation. Sure. Um, and I think, and I think, around ten to fifteen years ago, it just stopped it being the innovative side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point, this industry was really a part of things like CES and. Mm -hmm. That we were we were an ancillary part, but part, right? And, and I think there were a lot of interest. There were a lot of tech people that were in the industry as well. Mm -hmm. Now it's basically there's an awful lot of people that are just you know people that look at spreadsheets. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, as mainstream business, as more mainstream people come into the industry, I'm afraid that's what you're going to get. Listen, yeah. So, and, you know, and I don't have a solution for that. That's why my own interest has gone to things outside of the industry as well. It's weighing but a bit. <laughs> in, but, in, but in doing that, I have learned new things that are out there that help drive business for, for mainstream companies, digital tactics and things that mm -hmm. no one in the adult industry has. And it's, and it's interesting because there's a reluctance where where it can be applied, there's a reluctance by these people to try things that no one else is doing. Even mm -hmm. though mainstream companies have proven that they work, um, but also a lot of them I can't sell to adult companies. Mm -hmm. So at least to their adult-facing product. If they have more mainstream products, we can do that. Um, things like ED mm -hmm. and stuff like that all work just fine on these things. Sure. Um, but Google and other bigger players that underpin these things aren't interested in adult stuff 
Um, but there, Sadly. but there are solutions. It's not entirely a lock. It's not entirely a locked up thing. Um, yeah, I, I just want. I, I question why VR hasn't taken off more so than it already has in adult. I think. I mean, I remember watching a couple different conferences two years ago. One of the trade shows I was at. I can't remember which one, but people talking about it and. Mm-hmm. What I saw was studio owners themselves who were in that room weren't even aware of it. Like half of them, mm-hmm. half the people in the room were, but the other half weren't even aware of it. And the questions really were, well, what is that? So it's like, Weird. right? I do they, re- do so, they read? <laughs> apparently, not, apparently not that much. I don't know. And maybe today they do, but now there's, you know, the but the but the ground is sh- shaking again. So mm-hmm. we'll see, we'll see what happens. I don't know that right now is the time for some, that some people will choose to innovate, but right now would be a good time to innovate. I think so too. So is is reform of the industry necessary, or is it even possible? I don't know how you reform a thing that isn't that isn't centralized there's no governing body there's no there's not even a true trade association right there's there's a couple of organizations that do functions that a trade association would but yeah there really isn't one and there's no standards that everybody abides by so well, fs fsc is as close as we got so far right and i support them and i've been a supporter of asacp for 20 years as well absolutely um, but i you know i was on their board for 10 years but it's, but I think that you know it's still a loosey goosey operation with a lot of people doing whatever they want and sure. hoping no one yells at them and hoping they don't get in trouble and, and just you know <laughs> I don't know I don't know that there's I think that the major companies can reform themselves and reform by by working with each other but you know there's always going to be outliers doing whatever they want. This is true. So what's next for CyberSocket? I think we have to figure out what we're doing for our award show in January. That's probably the next big conversation that Tim and I need to sit down and and figure it out, whether we're going to do a live show. I don't think LA is planning on allowing large gatherings. I'm pretty sure the city of West Hollywood will not. It's um, kind of, it's still kind of early, but it's not looking that way when, when you, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're still seeing record, uh, record cases. Well, well, I know the city of Los Angeles has basically said no large gatherings through the rest of the year. So that's, okay. that's already a done deal. What it's going to look like the second or third week of January, I don't know, yeah. but I would imagine X business in the same position, looking at how they're going to do their trade show. Oh. Um, we did just do. <laughs> we I actually just did work with um, Webmaster Access to mm-hmm. help them drive signups to their virtual show. Um, oh, okay. One one of the products that I sell in the mainstream world, I was able to sell to them. And, oh, okay. Um, what and was it that? Really, it's called ATD Advanced Target Advanced Target Display. So mm-hmm. it uses some really cool uses voice recognition. So mm-hmm. you know how. When you talk about things, suddenly you start seeing those ads. Mm-hmm. It's it's that it's that technology. It That's actually is a real it's a it's a real thing, not not a made up thing. Um, mm. So it's advanced target display. So it uses a combination of voice recognition, mm-hmm. Google search stuff, and a couple of other demographic building things to help build an audience. 
you can mm -hmm. focus it on a certain geography <clears throat> and then you apply a bunch of keywords and it basically builds an audience out of the internet that is specifically interested in the thing you sell mm. um, or the thing or the thing you're making. So I've applied that same technology to the American Heart Association in mm. a drive to, to generate people interested in Medicaid signups. Mm. So it's like really interesting permutations of audience building, but mm -hmm. this technology works for that. Um, and it works successfully for that. And, uh, so it's, uh, anyway, so there's, well, how did I get on that topic? We were talking uh, about we were, shows and you yeah. talked about the virtual show. So I show. think that, I think that virtual shows are working. I know what they are. That was a good, that. that was a really good event. I enjoyed it. Right. It's, and they had a thousand more people participating, I think, than they were planning on, um, wow. than they ever thought they would have. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think they were really brave to do it the way they did it, mm -hmm. and to show everyone this can be done. Um, yeah. And and for the next year, it may be that more trade shows need to be that. Otherwise, but you also open up your audience. Mm -hmm. So I think for every trade show, there should always be a virtual option moving forward. I think you're um, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, and I think they're going to work out so good. You're going to start seeing that. Right, and I know, like, why not Jay? He works for a company that has a technology. His mainstream mm -hmm. job, right? He works for a company that has a technology that allows you to do that. Hmm. So there's there's plenty of there's plenty of paths forward without mm -hmm. being in person. I mean, I think in-person events are great and meeting face-to-face -face is great for relationship building, but, mm -hmm. you know, the world we're in right now is putting limitations on that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I hope there will be more virtual shows because I don't think physical shows are going to happen this year. We think right, so. and, I, and I might actually attend nine virtual shows a year, but there's no way I'll ever go back to showing up at nine shows a year. <laughs> so. I, never, I, I never did. I never did more again. I think the most I ever did in a year was like six and that was too much. So right. anyway, it's, yeah, it's rough on, and the older you get, the harder it gets. So you just hard on the body. It. I'm yeah. 62, man. I ain't gonna, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. Well, Hey, I'd really like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk, and I hope we'll get a chance to do this again really soon. My broker tip today is part one of what to do to make your site more valuable for when you decide to sell it later. First, make sure you're converting as much of your traffic as possible. Traffic's expensive. Whether it's search engine traffic, review site traffic, or affiliate traffic, you pay it a lot for this traffic. So make sure that when someone lands on your site, you give them every opportunity possible to either spend money or do whatever it is that you want your visitors to do. In the case of a pay site, make sure your billing options allow as many people as possible to buy. Have multiple ways to pay. In North America, most everyone has a credit card. But in other parts of the world, credit cards aren't used nearly as much. In Europe, for instance, credit card usage is low. So look for billing options that will match the areas where your traffic comes from. In Europe, ACH and debit cards are used a lot. In Africa and other developing countries, many people pay by mobile. Do your homework and find out how people pay in the regions you get most of your traffic. It will make you more money. The worst thing you can do is get a visitor, have them want to buy, 
But since you don't have their preferred way to pay, they can't buy. If you're looking for suggestions, feel free to get in touch with me via my website. Along with this is to improve your user experience. Make your site attractive and easy to navigate. People have more options than ever these days. I can't tell you how many sites I go to, even some that are owned by large companies, where the navigation isn't obvious to the user. You poke around the site for what seems like an eternity to do something that should be relatively easy. Keep it simple. Before you launch any changes to your site, ask your friends to go to the site and check it out. Unfortunately, designers and tech geeks don't think like us. You need real people to look at your site for you. The same kind of people who will be visiting your site. Next, make a good offer. If you're selling something and the offer isn't good, you won't make money. It's plain and simple as that. And if your offer is to contact you or get more information, then make the offer attractive and easy to understand. If you're selling something, make buying easy. Show them an easy way to buy and then leave. Help them by making suggestions on what to buy. Amazon.com is the best at this. They always have suggestions on what to buy based on your buying and browsing history. They use AI to do this. There are AI engines available these days at a modest cost. Look into this if you can. Don't clutter up your site with unnecessary items, buttons, and images. Keep it as simple as possible. The best and most successful sites are the simple ones, the ones that lead you to take the action you'd like them to do. It's not that hard. Just remember, when you're putting together any site, try to think through the buying process like a human being. Whatever you do, don't turn over that process to your designer. Don't just say, build me a website. What you'll get at the other end will not give you what it is you're looking for. Give them as much direction as possible and make it easy for them to build a site for you that makes your business succeed. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be talking to Mark Prince of Too Much. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Morgan Summer. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.